Fortress on a Hill with Henry, Danny, Kagan, Giovanni, Shiloh, and Manisha. Welcome, everyone, to Fortress on a Hill, a podcast about U.S. foreign policy, anti-imperialism, skepticism, and the American way of war. I'm Henry. My pronouns are he and him. Thank you for joining us today. With us today is uh, my my three fellow co-hosts, Giovanni, Shiloh, and Monisha. Good afternoon, guys. How, how are y'all feeling? Feeling good. How are you? Blink right, but I'm but I am here. Okay, I'm here. Uh, I'm here um, navigating, and with this Texas heat, we're like in the in the hundred tens. So, but we're doing good. Yeah, it's been nasty lately, man. It's 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 uh, it's it's frustrating to see, especially with that that uh, that legal change about they had about was about water breaks that construction workers in Texas weren't like in insured to be able to have as uh, like actual official water breaks. They were getting like ten minutes every four hours or something just to consume water. Wow, that's wild. So, um. Today we were gonna uh, just take a little bit of time and kind of introduce uh, Shiloh and Monisha. Um, we thought that the the best way to do that would be to just kind of open the floor up and talk about what is what each of us is most uh, passionate about within the uh, anti-war movement. And uh, just in the interest of giving everybody enough time, we're gonna let uh, let Shiloh go first. But I'm sure Giovanni and I will have some has some useful useful nuggets to drop too. So. Shiloh, please, can you tell us a bit about what uh, what you're passionate about in the anti-war movement? Yeah, thank you for for asking, and it's always so great to see the three of you. Um, there, I'm passionate about so much in the anti-war movement, but I guess there's a couple of like sectors that I'm uh, most passionate about because they they impact me the most, I guess. Um, and the first one would be like youth. So including um, young people in the anti-war movement. Um, and I'm passionate about that because uh, yeah, my partner is a three and a half year old and it just becomes like more and more real as the older they get and seeing how much um, uh, children and youth are just targeted for the war machine and from a very young age. Um, and so definitely passionate about talking to kids um, at their level, whatever age they're at about um, how to be anti-war and anti-militarists and just, just notice like what's going on around them. Um, and then the second part, um, the second thing I'm most passionate about within anti-war um, work is around like queer and trans folks like just getting out of the grips of the military industrial complex because it just like um you know just really hounds our community and and um exploits how vulnerable of a community we are as queer and trans people um some specifics just about like queer and trans people are largely overrepresented in the military because we are so vulnerable right we have a harder time accessing um you know like healthcare and housing and um security and, and job and a job and so the military swoops in to offer that to to our community and um so i am passionate about making sure 
queer and trans folks aren't exploited within the military industrial complex. You had mentioned about uh, taking a, a, um, a recent activist trip with the, with the kids going camping and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what, what were the kind of uh, topics that they were bringing up that kind of fit into what we're talking about today? Yeah, so I, I recently went down to Southern California uh, at this uh, camping trip called Peace Peace Camp. Um, it's for all the, the youth in that area and like Escondido, which is a really militarized Marine Corps heavy area. I was actually stationed down there for a while. Um, and uh, we took a bunch of kids who are in like peace clubs in their high schools um, and took them camping and they all were camping for the first time. So that that's a whole other thing where they're experiencing bugs and <laughs> being away from their phones and well, kind of away from their phones um, and sleeping in a tent for the first time. Um, but the, the experience was really wonderful. A lot of the kids, uh, so they're already active in their peace club. Um, but they had a lot of questions for me, um, for someone who was who was in the military and deployed, and they had a lot of like misconceptions of the military. So it was just like, yeah, ask me all your questions because I guarantee <laughs> if you've asked a recruiter, they're going to give you the wrong answer. Um, they're going to lie to you. And, and I can just tell you from my experience, truthfully and honestly, um, answer your questions. So some of the things they asked me were just absurd, like, um, you know, range, a range of questions. Like I heard that, um, you know, all once you're in the military, like, um, you can, you can get a, your citizenship, um, is handled and your whole family is taken care of and, um, you have healthcare for you and your family I was like, <laughs> no, that's not true. Let's break that down. <laughs> um, so it ranged from that to like, you know, these are kids who have never been out of the big city of LA. So they had questions like, did you have to sleep outside and things like that? Um, so yeah, any so push from like any like gun ho kids? Um, um, there's always there's always one yeah, very gun ho, very you know. Mm -hmm. Very militaristic minded. You you get any pushback? Anything? I was actually surprised too, but yeah, um, just I was surprised because it was a a peace club. Um, but I had to like you know step back and be like, well, these are kids who are still seeking you know access to to um, social movement and access to you know things that they can't have otherwise. Um, and so, yeah, there were, there was a, one kiddo in particular that I'm thinking of, um, and he, he was thinking about joining the military um, so that he could have health care and a job and move out of LA. Um, and so we, we had some really good talks and discussions and he asked me, you know, like, why do I think um, youth join the military? I was like, well, it's not about what I, why I think, like, why are you thinking about joining the military? Um, and our, our reasons were the same, um, that he wanted to go to college. He wanted to, 
um, live outside of his situation that he was in, you know, low income family and a tight living quarters. And um, it's like, yeah, that's why I joined the military too. And this was my experience. So you get to have that like hindsight conversation of like, I, I chose the military for the same reasons that you're thinking about it. I'm not saying you're um, your experience will be the same, but here's a person who went through this experience and here's, here's what happened to me. And, um, I don't know that I changed his mind, but I at least opened his mind a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, what would you, similar question, but in terms of, um, queer and trans folks, in terms of them asking the same kind of questions, what, I'm sure you would warn them in a in a in a very similar way, um, but in terms of the the differences on that side, in terms of like you mentioned about them, you know, being overrepresented in the military, already wanting to escape a bad situation of a of a bunch of different uh, with a bunch of different variables, how would you warn them to be cognizant of that while acknowledging that? they are overrepresented and are trying to escape in some way or another. Yeah. That conversation is similar, but has a little bit of like added, added little twists to it. So I always try to, um, I, I try to give kids like cold, hard facts without being like, you know, overwhelming, <laughs> but sure. you know, one of, one of the, the, Cold hard facts about the military, as we all know, is that military sexual trauma and and violence is rampant in the military, and that is exponentially increased if you're queer and trans. And so um, I really try to get that through to them and just tell them, talk to them about how the military is not a accepting, loving caring rainbows place like it doesn't matter if they start painting the tanks with rainbows like it's not a kind or gentle place for anyone and that only increases if you're queer and trans and so um yeah I I try to talk to them about that but it gets a little um I can talk to them about that, but my experience in the military is a little different only because I served under don't ask, don't tell my whole time. And so I had to be completely under the radar and not out as queer and not out as trans. And so I had a little bit of a different experience, like cosplaying as straight, you know, like cis and, and hetero, but I could see the writing on the wall if I had been, you know, like more out and open with people about being queer and trans and so I could tell them from that perspective of it's, it's just not a welcoming kind gentle place and accepting place for anyone yeah the uh I mean, j- just by the nature of it if of don't ask hotel being repealed I don't even know it's been 10 years yet even even that in and of itself that the things are not going to uh change that much for those for those folks i hope that it would but i I can't imagine that it would in in meaningful ways Mm -hmm. um and i i served with a few folks that were were gay and had to they had to like you said they had to be 
chameleons. They could not allow those aspects of their life to, to bleed over at all, especially if they wanted to have any kind of a career, you know, that, that being in the military, you have to be a team player so much of the time. And by virtue of your, of your sexual orientation, there will be people in there who will say that's not acceptable. And, and, and um, Giovanni, jump in here, man. I'm saying you were a, you were a Marine as well. So, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, the culture, the culture is also a very, very tough in culture that, uh, that you have to, you have to play that role every day. Cause I, I grew up within the military as a military child. And I remember when, um, when the ask don't ask, uh, ask don't tell uh, policy started on the start on the Clinton. Uh, I remember my parents, my dad, my dad was in the military, um, um, having, a, 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 you know, a dad we used to have, we'll have, we have like good, like get togethers in people's house and, you know, that we have a lot of people. And I remember people uh, who were, who were serving with my dad were gay, right? And they were operating, they were, you know, there were NCOs and whatnot, but they were known to be gay, you know, among their circle, you know, circle of friends, you know. Uh, but they were they were in the military pre don't ask don't tell you know which was a little bit which was a little bit more um, you know more uh, I guess repressive than than they ask don't tell uh, period and I recall one person in particular right he became a good friend of the family actually uh, he became a good friend of my mom's actually um, and he um, he was actually my uh, my dad's uh, NCOIC a supervisor right. And he would come home and everything like that. But he, he had to, he had to marry, he had to marry uh, a woman, right, to to save his career. And then they had like these, um, um, they had an arrangement, you know, where she could do whatever and he can do whatever and whatnot. But they still had to be married, you know, in the eyes of of, of the military, right, in order for, um, you know, in order for him to continue with his career and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, first I learned something new about you every time we, <laughs> we have a conversation. I didn't know you grew up with your dad being in the military. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's one of those like prime examples of how changing a policy doesn't change the culture. And, and I think that you have to, well, something I, I tell the, the youth and, and students I talk to is like the main purpose of the military is violence. And so anything that deviates from that is not going to be accepted. And mm -hmm. so uh, anything that's like, you know, welcoming or inclusive and, and kind is not going to be accepted in, in the military as a whole. So like they're never going to change that aspect of the culture. They can change the policies, like who's allowed to contribute to that culture of violence, but they're not going to actually change the culture of violence in the military. So it's like before, don't ask, don't tell. Okay, like, you know, there's a long history of how queer and trans people have been um, included and not included in the military that we could get into some other time. But like before don't ask don't tell is like cool like 
queer people, gay people, you get to be a part of this culture of violence and then don't ask, don't tell happen. It's like, nope, actually, we're not going to let gay people be a part of our culture of violence. And now that that band was re, you know, removed, then they're like, okay, queer people, trans people, you can come back to being part of the violence. <laughs> But it's never the culture of violence never changes. But I thought one of one of one of the things about don't ask don't tell is because before don't ask don't tell, you know, when you're in your uh, when you're in your, your application, your application, you know, you were asked, you know, you're asked two things. You were asked, you were asked if you know if you're homosexual, and you're asked if you are or ever been affiliated with the Communist Party or, or you're a communist. Those are two things that were really asked in your application when you joined the military mm -hmm. uh, prior to Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, after Don't Ask, Don't Tell passed, then the uh, then that part wasn't allowed to be asked anymore. That's where the whole Don't Ask, Don't Tell came, mm -hmm. came from, you know. So, um, yeah, so, you know, people were being... Before the answer until people were being uh, um, put out of the military just on suspicions alone, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, I was also asked on my application if I smoked pot before. It's like... Yeah, that was <laughs> another question that was asked. Yeah, it's just kind of like an understanding of you know, like, eh, all right, we're just not going to talk about that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember it was it was uh, there were there was a. A time period. Um, I I was in the Marines from 2005 to 2012, and there was definitely a time period in there where it was like, it was a little, you know, it was hairy. There was like, uh, it was a felt like a witch hunt, you know, and and mm. people were being kicked out. Um, and a lot of people went back, you know, in the closet under the rocks. Um, because it's scary to think of. So I was deployed within a, a year of, of finishing all my training and you know to think that oh my gosh like all these benefits that I put blood sweat and tears into are could be taken away from me mm -hmm. and it would all be for nothing that was a very scary very scary um you know situation to to be up against and and it it'll make you yeah just like <laughs> turn mm -hmm. into judas and start denying a bunch of things <laughs> yeah it was a very very uncomfortable uh painful time for a lot of people yeah yeah manisha so uh, um um let's just to manisha real quick um uh same same question to you manisha uh what are you most passionate about in the anti-war movement what do you think about the anti-war movement too? Well, um, <laughs> first of all, hi everybody. My name is Monisha, she, they. Um, it's really great to be here with the three of you. So I think talking about what I'm passionate about with the anti-war movement, I'll, I'll definitely be <laughs> adding what I think of it. Um, uh, I started off with a focus on exposing the psychological warfare industry. Um, the American Psychological Association. I started off working with um, something that Shiloh mentioned, military sexual violence, um, primarily from the standpoint of the non-enlisted uh, victims or targets um, in conflict uh, populations for them by, by way of the, the peace movement, trying to 
get some focus and attention on those two things. Um, and I, I think the, the overall thing that attracted me to the anti-war movement or the pro-peace movement um, was the, the idea of, of justice. Um, the sense of responsibility that, you know, as a collective, we have being part, part of the military of the Imperial Corps that is doing the most damage in the world right now um, for that. Um, um, and over time, my, my, my focus has shifted on the different, I guess, aspects of militarism and imperialism. Um, trying to educate and inform in various ways to to um, enhance the work of the anti-war movement, um, working a lot with Giovanni on hybrid warfare, um, education. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm also Puerto Rican. And so I'm, I'm very anti-colonial in my anti-war work, um, which is not something that is common, unfortunately, in the anti-war movement. Um, same with anti-imperialism. Um, I guess maybe I'll say there are some some pieces of anti-imperialism there, but I don't know that it's necessarily reached the the breadth and the depth that it needs to, um, or that would be ideal for actually achieving the goal. Um, so, yeah, those are the things that I like to work on. I I I, I like to work at the intersections. Of, of these oppressive systems that are manifested through the US military. Um, and I was really appreciating to what Shiloh was talking about with the importance of that loving, um, nurturing anti-war work, um, because that I think is also an element that is missing from the mainstream anti-war movement. Um, so I really just wanna applaud you Shiloh and, and give you my appreciation for the way that you approach counter recruitment. Um, that's awesome. Um, and I, I, I do some counter recruitment too. I uh, worked with kiddos for a little bit and then shifted over to adults, recognizing that, you know, recruitment happens in colleges, recruitment happens in job fairs, recruitment happens in professional associations. Um, I got stories about the American Psychological Association uh, and the the way that the military controls that industry. It is a defense industry. Um, so yeah, I think um, uh, that's probably my answer. <laughs> Was there anything else that you think I should mention? You said earlier when you started, you said uh, anti-war movement, and then you shift rapidly to, to pro-peace movement. You know, is there a difference in your mind? I think... I think sometimes, yeah, because people have different ideas of how peace is achieved. And some people believe in just war and some people think that some wars are acceptable. Um, and so they say they're for peace, but they are not exactly anti-war. Um, and then there are people who are anti-war um, who, who take that label onto themselves, but their connection to what peace actually looks like for people is not necessarily there. Um, so there's an absence of like justice work. There's an absence of um, taking steps toward building a culture of peace, um, which cannot always be done via yelling and screaming at protests. You know, those are an essential element of resistance, of course, but that's not how you create a culture of peace necessarily. 
So that's why I, I differentiate because I think people, I think it's more of a spectrum, uh, kind of like gender. I think that the positions one takes politically um, as it relates to US military activity in the world varies so much. So, yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned how psychology is used in warfare. I remember uh, during our training for you know for deployment on the uh, so-called war on terror and everything. They were they were issued. We were given booklets. Uh, booklets. It was supposed to be uh, uh, as part of our training, actually. You know, different trainings and whatnot. Uh, are um, it was created by psychologists. Uh, it's supposed to be. Um, to, you know, um, like try to understand, you know, the Middle East and a Middle Eastern mind and a Middle Eastern, you know, person and whatnot. And, and uh, that was supposed to be like one of part of our smart books, you know, the smart books, meaning books that, that you keep, you know, it's supposed to be like your quick reference type of books and whatnot, um, included like phrases and, you know, treated like behaviors, uh, typical of the Arab man, and etc. Do um, you ever seen any of those books? You seen any of those books, Shalom? Yeah, yeah. And the Marines, we were issued them uh, to. They were like many folded things that you're mm. supposed to stick in your your breast pocket and pull out. And it was like <laughs> just treat humans as humans. I don't know, <laughs> but it wasn't that. They weren't talking about that in the books. Yeah. I do remember those. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me that, you know, to the day is um, about when, the, when they were trying to um, give us a reference of the, of the Arab man, you know, what, what you know, the, the behavior and the character traits and whatnot is, um, you know, and I mean, it was very, very blunt and, 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 and racist, racist, you know, in the sense that they'll say something like, you know, uh, Arab man would lie, uh, to save face or whatnot like that. And that's one of the things, I mean, what the hell, <laughs> you know, you know, they would lie to save face. You know, it's one of the things that, 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 uh, that stood out to me when I, when I first approached that book, when I first saw it. Um, any thoughts, Manisha? I mean, so would a, a U.S. politician. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I mean, that's a great example of how embedded the field of psychology is. The psychology is, it's pretty much the, uh, at least the industry is like the elite version of the study of human behavior, which also exists in, in other cultures throughout time, you know? Um, so it makes total sense, especially considering how necessary psychological warfare is to the success of the, the U S government's goal of how it uses its military and what it's overall, uh, what it hopes to achieve through military force. So yeah yeah thing is these these uh these references that you know when you read them you look at them right and you look at them with a sober mind you know and you know and not what you know now and everything you know they're very very uh juvenile <laughs> the way they describe the middle east and the way they describe the the you know arab people and whatnot and military people and so forth very juvenile you know and then you think about it you know these are references written by by people with doctor's degrees, <laughs> you know. It shows how demeaning and dehumanizing the, the field of psychology really is, depending on who's who's using it and why. And you're a psychologist, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have one of those doctors. That's how I know. 
it's funny because during school, so like I was a, a very angry homeless veteran when I started my doctoral program out of necessity, like the same reason why I enlisted, why at 17 years old, I succumbed to the recruitment that had been going on for two years prior of me as a child in school um, because I wanted out of poverty and I wanted access to education. And I had always wanted to go as far as I could go with with school, um, as far as I could afford to go with school. And when the opportunity came um, to go beyond, because I prior to that, I had my bachelor's and master's in social work, and I was really trying to address the social issues that led me to think going in the military was the way of fighting in air quotes to resolve those social issues. So I thought, well, that obviously was not the answer. Maybe this way is the answer, like becoming a therapist. So when I I started my doctoral degree, I was actually a licensed therapist, homeless, like a a practicing licensed therapist who could not afford to live um, and ended up in a a, a homeless program with the veterans uh, hospital near where I was working. And that whole entire experience coupled with being confronted at my university, because I was studying humanistic psychology, which aligned more with the values of social work, which are supposed to be humanizing, although how those values are interpreted and implemented by capitalism are not humanizing. Um, So I was confronted by peace activists in my program. And as a veteran specifically, they came for me and they were like, do you have any clue at all of what the system is that you were involved in and that is paying your way through school? Are you aware? And thankfully their confrontation way, I was able to kind of like shed a lot of the, the scales, uh, from my eyes, you know, of the, the mythology that we're taught about the U.S and the military. Um, And that's when I was confronted by like some really harsh realities that um, no recruiter is going to tell anybody that the U.S. media is not going to tell anybody. Um, And also was confronted by our own history, you know, of of Puerto Rico, of Vieques. My family comes from Vieques, Puerto Rico, which was used for war games, similar to Jeju Island, similar to many um, locations like the Diné. Uh, who are struggling from the impacts of of weapons testing and mining for uranium and their uh, reservations. You know, all of that flew in my face. And then that's when I, thanks to going to a school of psychology with peace activist psychologists, like was able to come to terms with some things, deal with some moral injury and redirect my path, really redirect my focus of my work and, and commit to um, what I hope will at least help, um, in the quest for, for, you know, justice and peace. Awesome. How about you, Shiloh? What's, what has been your journey since the time you left, you shed the Marine Corps uniform and, and end up where you're at now? Oh, how long do we have? <laughs> um, yeah, what a, what a path. Uh, I think like a lot of veterans, I 
I got out of the Marine Corps and wanted nothing to do with military veterans. If I smelled that you're a veteran, I ran the other direction. Uh, never wanted to admit to it um, for myself for a long time. Um, it, I think that would have been true if I was uh, cisgender and, and hetero, but especially because I'm queer and trans, the two seem in such opposition to one another, um, to be queer and trans and a veteran. Um, that was at least my my perception at the time because I didn't, because I served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I didn't know other queer and trans <laughs> people in the military. Um, and so I very much felt like, am I the only one? <laughs> okay, I need to deny that part of myself um, to be accepted into queer and trans spaces and circles. And then... I think there was like a, a reckoning within myself, kind of like Monisha was talking about, where you have to like look in the mirror <laughs> and be presented with all the all the things that you are a part of, no matter what the circumstances were that that put you in that position. Like, yeah, I was a part of this. Um, and I need to reckon with that and um very much be on a path of healing from that so that I can do the work of um talking you know very truthfully and honestly with with others about my experience I think if if you haven't come to that reckoning and that um that healing part it's it it just comes out when you try to talk to others you know like it's not as believable <laughs> um and yeah, I I was a teacher for many years. Um, and I think that um kind of melding the two, like I love I love children, I love learning with them. Um, and so how can I like do kind of these two things that I love at the same time, like talking to to students, being with students honestly transparently um and that means talking until they're done hearing it from me about <laughs> about my experience in the in the marine corps and my experience as a trans veteran um yeah well, i think that's probably a pretty uh a pretty good spot for us to to wrap up our our conversation here um thank you both for sharing some of your experiences with us and and talking about what you're what you're passionate about how you came to uh to where you are today um i know in the future hopefully that we'll we'll do uh inter <clears throat> excuse me individual episode zero recordings with you guys and we can talk a little more specifically about you know how you got in the military and 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 what are the things that that you know, you carry with you wittingly or unwittingly that uh, people need to know about. They need to understand what the what the real burden of being in the military is, and what uh, and how we end up telling that story to everyone else. So, uh, Giovanni, do you have anything else you wanted to add, man? No, it's an awesome conversation. Uh, I feel uh, feel like I got to know both of you a little bit more. I've worked with both of you in the past for, uh, for quite some time, but I uh, appreciate you opening up and. 
and sharing this part of your life that uh, that I didn't know. Yeah, I really look forward to the more in depth. I have so many questions for you, Monisha. Could talk to you forever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to everybody listening at home, thank you for uh, joining us today at Fortress on a Hill. We'll, uh, you'll hear from us again soon. Take care. Peace. Money is tight these days for everyone, especially in the lingering shadow of COVID. Penny pinching to make it through the month often doesn't give people the funds to contribute to a creator they support. So we consider it the highest honor that folks help us fund the podcast in any dollar amount they're able. Patreons is the main place to do that. And for supporters who can donate $10 a month or more, they will be listed right here as an honorary producer like these fine folks. Fahim's Everyone Dream, James O'Barr, James Higgins, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Daniel Fleming, Michael Karen, Ren Jacob, Rick Coffey, Scott Spaulding, Spooky Tooth, and the Status Quo Podcast. However, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or please check out our store on Spreadshirt for some great Fortress merch. We're on Twitter and Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. I will know.